0: This podcast contains elements that may be alarming to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You are now listening to British Brothers, the True Cry podcast. Everyone and welcome to British Murders, The podcast focusing exclusively on British murder cases and serial killers. I'm your host Stuart Blues, and this is the tenth and final episode of season eleven. Before we get into it, let's break the ice. The show's first opening icebreaker segment is this? Two facts that sound like both s- Did you know the Scottish Highlands, the Appalachians, and the Atlas were once part of the same great chain that spanned the supercontinent Pangaea. This ridge was known as the Central Pangaean Mountains and ran from northeast to southwest during the Carboniferous, Permian and Triassic periods. It lasted for 100 million years until Pangaea started to break up. Now it's time for the show's final opening icebreaker segment. Final quote of the day. If I had my life to live over again... I would have made a rule to read some poetry and listen to some music at least once every week. That was said by Charles Darwin. Listener Matthew Sket requested this case via Facebook. We're in the market town of Wellington this week, located in the West Midlands county of Shropshire. The town is 3 miles northwest of Telford, 36 miles northwest of Birmingham and 149 miles northwest of London. Here are your five quick-fire facts about Wellington. Number one, Wellington has been a walkers' welcome town since 2010. It's known as the northern gateway to the Shropshire Hills area of outstanding natural beauty, with one of the area's most famous landmarks, the Wrecking Hill Range, being right on Wellington's doorstep. Number two, Wellington has existed since the 7th century, when an Anglo-Saxon created his farmstead there. His name is not actually known, but its thought to have been something like Weola. Number three, Wellington Market was established in 1244 and is home to over 50 shopping units. Nowadays, there's an indoor food court and a stage, which allows for late night and live music events. Number four, Wellington is twinned with the commune of Chautenay-Malabry in the southwestern suburbs of Paris. I'm 100% butchering that. And number 5, there are 44 listed buildings in Wellington, two of which are grade 2 star, a grade in only 5.5% of listed buildings have. The two buildings in question are the 17th century Alston Manor and the 18th century All Saints Church. According to the 2011 census, Wellington's approximate population is 25,554. Georgia Williams was the second child of her parents, married couple Steve and Lynette, and was brought into the world just after one in the morning on September 8th, 1995. The couple's eldest child, Scarlett, was born in the summer of 1990, and all three were thrilled when the youngest member of the family was brought home. Steve had worked his way through the ranks of West Mercia Police, from being a special constable all the way up to becoming a detective The force's major investigation unit. He was so respected in the force for the work he did that he, along with two other officers, were awarded the Chief Constable's Commendation, the highest honour available for a serving officer. That was for helping send kidnapper and rapist Neil Garmson to prison. Lynette had been working for British retailer Boots since college and also progressed during her career to the point where she was a job share manager during this story's main timeline. Georgia Williams was more than just a regular teenager. She was a clever, happy, and inspirational young woman who would have gone on to achieve great things. Described by her dad as a gorgeous tomboy, Georgia was bright and had a bubbly and outgoing attitude that endeared her to everyone around her. She was the kind of person who always had a smile on her face and a positive outlook on life. Even at the young age of 17, Georgia had already touched so many people's lives with her selfless nature and unwavering knack for always being the first to volunteer for any cause. Such altruism showcased her kindness and proactive approach to making a difference. What you saw with Georgia was genuinely what you got. An authentic, caring soul who wanted nothing more to see the people she met happy. It crushed me when I heard about how Georgia, someone who wouldn't hurt a fly, was mercilessly bullied during the latter years of her primary education. At first, she didn't tell her parents about how she was acquiring these scrapes, cuts and bruises. She'd say she fell in the playground over and over again. Growing more concerned by how quiet their youngest child was becoming, Stephen Lynette finally coaxed the truth out of her. Georgia was being tormented by some other kids at school, but she was a strong enough child that she refused to move. Knowing that her primary schooling years were soon coming to an end anyway, Stephen Lynette began thinking about what high school Georgia should attend. They settled on Irkle Wood Technology College, known since 2018 as Irkle Wood Academy, which is where Scarlett went. It was a fair bit outside of their current catchment area, so the likelihood of the bullies also attending that school was slim. With the bullies out of her life, Georgia began to thrive at Urkelwood. She volunteered for one of the school's mentor roles, which saw her looking out for some of the more vulnerable children who were perhaps victims of bullies as she had previously been. Georgia went on to become the school's head girl, a role that she took extremely seriously and filled her with immense pride. Then head teacher Shea Davis recalled how instrumental Georgia was in ensuring the school's Build a Plane project went smoothly. He said, Her small, capable hands were invaluable in reaching into tight areas of the plane. Drilling holes, tightening screws, always involved, always working, always laughing. For context, in January 2011, the Boeing Company and the Royal Aeronautical Society announced that Urkel Wood would be the fourth school to take part in the UK schools' build-a-plane project in which they, you guessed it, built a fully functional aeroplane. As she began her further education journey at New College Telford, now known as Telford College, Georgia continued her extracurricular involvement by becoming an active and inspiring student council member. Outside of school, music was a big passion of Georgia's, but it meant more to her than just being a casual interest. Music was an integral part of her life. With an eclectic taste that could seamlessly adapt to various moods and situations, her musical preferences were as diverse as her personality. Her mum has fondly reminisced about Georgia's knack for choosing the perfect soundtrack to complement any given moment. Whether it be classical music, soundtracks and musicals, country and western, or even Michael Bublé, Georgia found solace and inspiration from whatever she listened to. Some of her favourite songs included Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer, Just Give Me a Reason by Pink, Queen's timeless anthem Don't Stop Me Now, and Passengers Let Her Go. Georgia also managed to fill up every last moment of her free time, so much so that her parents struggled to keep up with her schedule. Firstly, she was a regular face at New Bucks Head, the home stadium of AFC Telford United. As a youngster, she'd spend the match days with her grandad flogging raffle tickets to the supporters. Her presence became so vital for the fundraising due to her cheeky charm that a large portion of the fans said they'd only buy a ticket from Georgia and nobody else. A club official said, She can charm the £1 for a ticket out of our fans every time. Eventually, she progressed to more behind-the-scenes work and would be left to tally up the day's earnings whilst the teams battled it out on the pitch. If you're wondering where Georgia got her kind-hearted nature from, they look no further than her parents. Steve and Lynette took in various foster kids over the years after Scarlett and Georgia were born, which is such an amazing thing to do. I take my hat off to their willingness and desire to give back to others less fortunate than them and in greater need of help. Georgia had a boyfriend called Matthew Bird, whom she met on a bus of all places. He was a real gentleman and treated Georgia with the utmost respect, something which didn't go unnoticed by her parents. For the first time in her life, a boy had bought her flowers. He meant the world to Georgia, and the pair could well have had a happy future together. She joined the 1130 Wrecking Squadron Air Training Corps, a voluntary youth group which is part of the Royal Air Force Air Cadets, and had ambitions to join the RAF proper. Her nickname in the cadets was Ferret because she'd do her utmost to prevent her friends from getting a stern telling off by ferreting or searching for any missing items and handing them over. She'd done her best to tailor her air levels at college so that they matched what was required for entry to the RAF. At the time, the RAF Regiment, the Air Force's Ground Fighting Force, was only open to men, which led to Georgia choosing the role of a field paramedic. She had save a life on her bucket list, so it was the ideal career path for her. A meeting with the RAF recruitment office in March 2013 went well, with all the possible options being explained to the keen 17-year-old. Steve and Lynette were confident that Georgia would more than likely join the RAF upon completing college, but just a couple of months later, her entire future would be taken away from her at the hands of someone she thought of as a friend. That friend was a 22-year-old man named Jamie Reynolds, someone everyone in Georgia's close circle knew well, as he often gave them lifts to such places as the cinema. From what I found, it appears as though Reynolds was the polar opposite of Georgia, personality-wise. Despite regularly picking her up from her home on Telford Road, he never went inside to have a chat with her sister or parents. Instead, he'd just sit in the car and wait patiently for her to come out. Reminding her parents who Reynolds was, Georgia said he used to go to school with Scarlett and worked at the nearby petrol station as a shop assistant. Georgia was never alone with him either. It was always her and a couple of her mates being given a lift, so there didn't appear to be any cause for concern regarding him doing that, despite his apparent introverted persona. Curiosity soon got the better of Lynette, and she asked the question that would have weighed on any parent's mind. Is Jamie your boyfriend? Georgia firmly insisted that they were just friends and had nothing more than a platonic relationship, despite Reynolds asking her out on one occasion, to which Georgia politely declined. She had no romantic interest in him whatsoever, and also didn't want to ruin their friendship, so she felt that rejecting him in the nicest way possible was the only way to go. Georgia spent most of Sunday May 26, 2013 out shopping with her mum, She was due to go on a college trip in a few weeks' time, and Lynette wanted to treat her to some bits. The next day was a bank holiday. Wolverhampton Civic Hall was hosting the third and final day of the Slam Dunk Festival, a UK pop-punk, emo, metal and alternative music festival that originated in Leeds in 2006. It was the first time Slam Dunk had been placed over three days, as opposed to just a Saturday and Sunday, As seen as it was in the West Midlands for the first time, Georgia and her mates couldn't resist the opportunity of going. The plan was for Georgia to meet Matt and her friends at the train station and head to the festival together. It was a chance to have a day of music-filled fun before getting serious the day after when she were due to take her first proper driving lesson. As the family tucked into a barbecue that Sunday evening, Georgia prepared herself for a quick trip to Reynolds' home on Avondale Road, a 10-minute walk away, as she'd agreed to take part in a photo shoot. Georgia told her parents that Reynolds wanted to pursue a career in photography and needed help building his portfolio. Georgia was to dress in biker-style clothes so that he could send the photos off to car magazines in the hope of them offering him some work. Leaving the house that evening shortly before 8pm, Steve and Lynette smothered their youngest daughter with kisses and put their unsettled feelings about the photoshoot to the back of their minds as they waved goodbye to her. They would not see their beloved Georgia alive again. Concern began to grow when she failed to return home by 10pm, as Georgia would usually have let them know by now if she was staying out for longer. As the hours continued to tick by, Lynette finally decided to call her mobile, but it rang out. Sending her a message asking what on earth she thought she was playing at, a response was eventually received which read, Gone to friends. We'll see you in the morning. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Three kisses was typically how Georgia signed off her texts, so her parents figured the message must have come from their youngest, despite it being a tad short and to the point. Praying further and asking where she was, a response came back stating the battery on her phone was about to run out, so she couldn't message anymore. Further texts were exchanged the following day with a similar story being relayed by Georgia. She was with her mates, would be home soon, and her battery was running out. Figuring she were just spreading her wings and most likely enjoying the festival, Stephen and Lynette reluctantly stayed calm as best they could and planned on how much they would relay the law to Georgia upon her return. By the morning of Tuesday, May 28th, Georgia has still not come home, so Steve put in a call to his police colleagues to report her as missing. Here's where the story takes a shocking turn. The story will continue after these quick messages. And now, back to the story. When explaining to the officers sent out to speak with Steve and Lynette that Georgia had gone out to see Reynolds at his parents' home on Avondale Road, a call was put into police control to run a check on the name and address. An awkward look was then exchanged between the officer and George's parents before they quickly excused themselves and left. Here's why. Reynolds was well known to the police and had a disturbing record. One of the most heartbreaking aspects of this case is that if more action had been taken against Reynolds or if those who knew him had been made aware of what he would truly like, then this tragic story would most likely have been avoided. In 2008, five years before this story's events, a 17-year-old Reynolds got into trouble with the police after he assaulted a 16-year-old girl at his home. After luring her back to his house, he attempted to strangle her with his bare hands, and it's quite frankly a miracle that the girl managed to escape. Despite informing the police and the college both she and Reynolds attended about the incident, nothing was done. The college said they had no right to prevent him from attending and that the girl should just avoid him as best she could. The police never did a follow-up interview with her, nor did they take any samples from her nails or anything like that. She felt as though she'd been completely abandoned and let down by the very system that was supposed to protect her. Over the next couple of years, Reynolds was in contact with the West Mercia Youth Offender Service, Children and Adolescent Mental Health Services and the NSPCC, but no legal action were taken against him. Even though he was confirmed to have committed assault occasioning actual bodily harm, he were given nothing more than a slap on the wrist and a final warning. As part of his regular contact with the aforementioned agencies, Reynolds spoke to several therapists about his abnormal sexual desires. He admitted to being aroused by images of women being strangled and said he'd previously practiced autoerotic asphyxiation with a plastic bag. Concerns were raised about his sexual behaviour, obsession with snuff films and overall mental health. He was described by mental health professionals as being a significant risk to others having progressed from viewing images to actually harming someone. For his diagnosed depression, Reynolds was given medication to mediate it, but rather than take more serious action, what has been described as a watch and wait approach was taken. Such failure to act on their concerns led to the file on him being closed in 2010. After that, he had no further contact with mental health agencies or social workers other than the NSPCC. Within 12 months, an altercation with a female colleague saw Reynolds receive a traffic warning after he intentionally reversed his car into hers after she spurned his advances. That incident occurred in August 2011, and at the time, officers failed to check the police system for any previous incidents. Had they done so, they'd have spotted the 2008 attack on the 16-year-old, and perhaps some more severe action would have been taken. Steve and Lynette didn't know that Reynolds had other plans for the photo shoot. It wasn't just a biker chick thing, as Georgia had told them. Reynolds explained in a message to Georgia on social media that she'd be taking part in a simulated hang He said, You would be standing on a box. I would edit that out on the computer, so it would look like you were floating. His parents were out of the country on holiday, so he had the place to himself. Fashioning a makeshift hanging mechanism in the loft hatch of the house, Reynolds persuaded Georgia to place her head inside a noose. As soon as she did, he proceeded to hang her for real. One of the most harrowing parts of this story is the fact that Reynolds continued to take photos of Georgia even after killing her. Worse still, he violated her body all over the house, documenting his assaults with the camera as he did so. Officers recovered the photographic evidence on the camera after they broke into Reynolds' home, but the 22-year-old wasn't there, and neither was Georgia. You've probably worked it out by now that it was Reynolds cruelly texting Lynette from Georgia's phone in an attempt to cover his tracks. With the search for Reynolds now in full swing, the one thing they had to go on as far as a lead was concerned was his Toyota Hi-Ace 300GS van. The registration plate was Charlie X-Ray 06 Alpha Sierra Victor, and its journey was tracked using the nation's ANPR cameras. A combination of CCTV camera footage and eyewitness reports revealed Reynolds had driven the van from Wellington to the Shropshire town of Oswestry, some 29 miles northwest of his home. After that, he drove on to the Denbyshire town of Rill in North Wales, followed by Chester in Cheshire, and then to the north-west England county of Cumbria, before finally stopping in the Scottish city of Glasgow. Almost 300 miles north of his home, it was there where his journey ended after checking into a Inn hotel. Using his bank card to pay for a room, his financial records gave away his location, and he was subsequently arrested on May 29th although at first he was only arrested on suspicion a kidnap. That was likely before the photos on his camera were fully analysed. Claiming innocence, Reynolds insisted he had gone to bed early after the photo shoot and said that Georgia had left to go to another friend's house with a couple of her friends who were also at his for the shoot. The big all in that testimony was that the other girls he'd planned on having over had cancelled at the last minute, leaving Georgia alone with him. Once those photos on his camera were analysed, Steve and Lynette were privately told that Georgia was likely dead, although they couldn't let that information be passed on to anyone else. As friends and family appealed for help in finding Georgia and bringing her home safely, her parents knew the likely truth. They felt terrible keeping such a secret, but it was needs must. Superintendent Nav Malik released a statement on May 29th which read, She has never gone missing before. It is totally out of character. Her parents are devastated and we are gravely concerned. She is a very nice girl, a former head girl from a local college. She is very bright and has a bright future ahead of her. We are afraid she may have come to harm. Her first driving lesson had been missed, as at the festival she was so looking forward to attending. Georgia, they realised, was never coming home. Reynolds was formally charged with murder on May 30th, which allowed officers to hold him for longer whilst the search for Georgia continued. Based on evidence recovered from Reynolds' home, the likely scenario was that Georgia had not left the house alive. She'd realistically been killed within an hour of arriving at Avondale Road. Forensic searches continued at the house and even took place at Georgia's home as a formality, which must have been devastating for Steve, Lynette and Scarlett to sit back and watch. What the teams recovered from Reynolds' home was terrifying. He had what they described as a kill list with 32 names on it, including Jadine Dunning, Scarlett's best mate. Reynolds had also doctored photos he'd acquired from social media sites of almost 40 girls he knew, in which he'd placed nooses around their necks and made it look as if they were being hung. He even went to the trouble of making it seem as though their eyes were bulging from their sockets. It soon came to light that Reynolds' stepdad had handed said photos to the police years earlier, but the girls whose photos had been doctored were never informed. Again, had Jadeen been told, she'd have told Scarlett, who'd then have told Georgia. She'd have then avoided Reynolds like the plague, and would likely still be alive today. Amongst the gruesome photos were several stories Reynolds had written about women begging for mercy while being strangled. One such story was reportedly called Georgia Williams in Surprise, indicating he'd methodically planned out precisely how he was going to kill Georgia. Almost 17,000 pornographic images, including more than 70 extreme porn videos, were also recovered from the property. UK TV show Crime Watch aired an episode on May 30th which featured Georgia's story, and if they hadn't, it's possible she would never have been found. A witness who saw the show instantly recalled seeing Reynolds' van near a wooded area on the Nantigarth Pass between Wrexham and Ruthin in North Wales. If you continue up the A525 beyond Ruthin, you eventually end up in Rill, so the location and timeline matched the information the police had from the ANPR data. The witness had actually helped Reynolds after his van got stuck in the mud in the woods and I believe it was the witness's child who recognised the van as they remembered laughing at the two men trying to free the vehicle. It's disturbing to think that George's body was in the back of the van the entire time and the Good Samaritan had no idea. Reynolds had also stopped off at a cinema in Wrexham on the way to the wooded area. Such was his lack of giving a shit after committing such a heinous crime. Searches of the woodland area commenced, and at around 2pm on May 31st, in an area so secluded that it appeared to have been untouched by civilization for years, officers finally found George's body. A post-mortem soon confirmed her cause of death. She died as a result of pressure being applied to her neck between 8 and 9pm on May 26th. Her funeral took place on June 14th at All Saints Church in Wellington and was attended by hundreds upon hundreds of mourners. She had a remarkable send off, which just shows how much she meant to the local community. Four months later, Reynolds appeared at Birmingham Crown Court and was asked how he'd like to plead regarding George's murder. He said, Not guilty which meant her family would have to be subjected to hearing all the gruesome details of how she died in a trial, even though the evidence against him was overwhelming. For reasons known only to him, the whole thing seemed like a power play, because on December 2nd, the first day of his murder trial at Stafford Crown Court, Reynolds changed his plea to guilty. Regarding the brutality of George's murder, Judge Mr Justice Wilkie said, Some details are of such a nature for it to be given wider publicity would cause untold stress. The sentencing date was set for December 19th. The reason for the two-week delay in sentencing was that further psychiatric reports were to be obtained, with Steve and Lynette concerned that Reynolds would attempt to prove himself as having had diminished responsibility at the time of the murder. That would lead to a lesser charge of manslaughter and a minimum jail term, meaning he would likely be a free man at some point in the future. Their concerns were lifted when Mr Justice Wilkie handed Reynolds a whole life order, which means he'll never be allowed to leave prison and will die behind bars. The psychiatric assessment revealed that Reynolds had all the hallmarks of a potential serial killer, and had he not been caught, the likelihood was that he'd have gone on to become one. Dr. Katina Anagnostakis said he had recurrent intense sexual fantasies involving violent sadism and access such taboo material via the internet. A statement read on behalf of the Williams family after the sentence in read, The pain we feel is as raw now as it was when our beautiful Georgia was taken from us back in May. We'll never be able to make any sense of what happened or why it happened to a young woman as caring, kind and generous as our Georgia. Today's guilty plea gives us no satisfaction at all. We do not and will never understand the heartbreaking events of earlier this year that changed our lives forever. Since her death, a charity has been set up in Georgia's name. The Georgia Williams Trust was set up with the aim of getting young people to believe they can do the same things that the charity's namesake did, enabling them to have access to adventurous outdoor activities and encouraging them to volunteer. The charity's logo naturally is a ferret. Head to the georgiawilliamstrust.org for more information about what it is they do. Reynolds would attempt to appeal his whole life order in April 2014, but it was rejected that October by Lord Chief Justice John Thomas, who was sitting with Mr Justice Wynne Williams and Mr Justice Nigel Sweeney. The findings of a serious case review were released in October 2015, as were the results of a separate independent inquiry that had been carried out by Devon and Cornwall Police. Criticism was aimed in both reports at eight agencies, including the Police, Mental Health Services, Children's Services and the Probation Trust, as they knew of Reynolds' issues and the potential danger he posed to others. Several police officers and staff members were said to have been served with misconduct notices on the back of the two reports, but the conclusion was that there was no identifiable link between the officers' actions in 2008 and George's murder in 2013. It was also stated that the errors were isolated and did not relate to wider issues of safeguarding throughout the force. Further controversy came to light when two female witnesses, who shall remain nameless, explained how their data had been leaked on West Mercia Police's website after mistakenly not being redacted. Those errors occurred despite a court order being put in place following the murder trial to prevent the identification of any witnesses. Judge Jonathan Goslin ruled at Stafford Crown Court that he had no power to take action regarding West Mercia Police after the publication. A force spokesperson said, West Mercia Police takes full responsibility for its actions and we would again like to extend our sincere apologies to those concerned. Steve has since retired from the force with the couple having also left the area of Wellington. They now spend their time between a new home in Market Drayton, a town close to the Cheshire and Staffordshire borders, and Spain. One final thing to mention is that on May 25th, 2023, 10 years after Georgia was killed, Maddle Books released a book called Our Georgia, The Devastating Murder of My Daughter by a Killer Who Should Have Been Stopped. The book was written by Lynette, with journalist Robin Evely and the help and support of Stephen Scarlett. I used it to research this case, and it was truly a vital resource. It goes into far more detail than I've been able to put across here, so if you want to buy a copy and give it a read, I've placed a link in this episode's description. I'll also be gifting my copy to a listener in a Patreon-exclusive giveaway soon. I'll finish with a quote from Lynette regarding the tell-all book. When you consider the enormity of the crime against Georgia, it should have been nationwide front-page news. The public deserves to know what happened to her, as well as the failures and real attitudes of the authorities that we all entrust our care to. Our story shows this can happen to any family and reveals our justice is hard won, but with little consequences to the offending authorities. Mardle Books have given us and Georgia a voice, which we know she would thank them for. And that was the story of the murder of Georgia Williams. Thanks again, Matthew Skepp, for suggesting that case. I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts on it. This week's four new reviews are as follows. Kylie B left a five star review on BritishMurders.com. It reads, Discovered this little gem a few weeks back and have binged my way to season 10, episode 4. I tend to skip some of the interviews as when binging, they kind of interrupt the flow, but I'll go back and listen to them as a group in their own right. Stuart makes the podcast what it is and he should be extremely proud of what he has created. 100% have a fan in me. Stephanie Pittman left a five star review on BritishMurders.com. It reads, Just found this podcast. I adore Stuart, and listening to this podcast every day is a true treat. You're an awesome fella. Love you from North Carolina, USA. Corpus Girl left a four-star review on Apple Podcasts UK. It reads, Lees use the letter T. Your accent is Yorkshire. So am I, but I use the letter T. Otherwise, an excellent podcast. I addressed this on Instagram recently because I found it hilarious that Corpus Girl didn't use the letter P in please, it just said "lees." The irony, you couldn't make it up. Also, this is how I speak, and we'll continue to do so. Finally, Lauren T left a five-star review on BritishMurders.com, which reads, Only discovered the podcast this week and have enjoyed listening. Love the regional accent and the subtle humour. New cases covered that I haven't heard before, and also love the length of the episodes. Somehow they're shorter than other podcasts, but seem to be really detailed still. Thank you Kylie, Stephanie, Corpus Girl and Lauren for leaving those reviews. If you want to leave a review of the show and have it read on a future episode, you can do so on iTunes, Facebook, Podchaser or at BritishMurders.com. You can also leave star ratings on Spotify. Please consider heading to patreon.com slash BritishMurders and signing up for a membership. If you choose my Officer of the British Empire tier, you'll gain early access to all future episodes ad-free. You'll gain access to several bonus episodes as well as my British Murders Weekly Journal series. I also do Patreon-exclusive giveaways from time to time, and as I mentioned earlier, I will be giving away a copy of Our Georgia on Patreon very soon. If you'd prefer to support the show on a one-off basis, you can do that on Buy Me A Coffee. Just head to buymeacoffee.com slash Murders. Please continue emailing case suggestions to britishmurderspodcast at gmail.com or message me via social media. You'll get the episode covered eventually, and you'll also get a cheeky shout-out for your efforts. If you want to join in some chit-chat about the podcast, about true crime, general day-to-day life, I've just set up a private Facebook group. If you go onto Facebook and search for British Murders Podcast Discussion Group, you can click to enter. I'll go in and I'll just approve it. There are some rules on there that I'd like you to just double-check, read them, approve them, just to keep it clean. I want it to be a safe space. But please do join in the community. And that does us for another season. Season 11. Could you believe it? Oh, wowzers. There's still so many cases to cover as well. It's so tragic how many murders happen in this country. Next week, I am taking a bit of a cheeky little break. I'm having my collab episode with Seeing Red. Mark, it's Mark and Bethan on the episode, but Mark tells me the story of these missing Dutch hikers in Panama, which is a very, very strange story. And uh, you probably want to get in touch and let me know your theories on that one. After that, I'm probably going to do a end of season special. I think I've got an idea on who I'm going to do it on, but I'm not going to say it just in case I change my mind. And then after that, we'll be back to the usual thing with the first episode of season 12. That does it. I'm going to end that there. This episode is long enough. I've been Stuart Blues. This has been British Murders. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Cheerio.